Hey, everybody. Welcome to... Uh, it's been a long time, man. It's we, been a uh, long time. You got muscle cramp. It's me, Wade, James, and Hugh, and are uh, doing something we haven't done in a while. We're going back. We're, do we have a name that we want to call this series or anything? I would just say Kickers and Bells on Link. So far, that's the working <laughs> title. I don't know. I don't. I haven't thought of anything sort of creative we about could it. Just, we just, call, we yeah. just could call it Lynched with an exclamation mark. <laughs> that scares the shit out of me. <laughs> Kickers of Ills get lynched. That's, uh, well, <laughs> oh boy, we're going to have to scrap all of this. Kickers of Ills on lynch over here. Uh, this was an idea that James had. We had been talking about David Lynch for a while. It seems like sort of like a good time to look at him, what all he's done. He's got a full body of work, and I've been sort of interested in it for a while. We've done it earlier with Dune, so we watched his Dune then. Let's switch to a Lynch and, and talk yeah, about being interested in it. like one so. of our guys. Like he'd come up in conversation a lot. <laughs> and other people, like when we were younger, mm-hmm. maybe like Tarantino, I don't feel like his aged quite as well, at least with us. Like, as an artist, like Lynch is kind of singular. No. His artistry doesn't seem to diminish with time. He's only risen higher in our esteem as as we've gotten older. Yeah, he's one of the few that yes. has risen in our esteem as we've gotten older. I remember that like around Lost Highway came out, and he had uh, that there was a Nine Nails song that went along with that, and I was kind of like, this is all kind of like mm. Edge Lord shit. And I was teen, so I was probably into it that way. But you know, even then, you have a sense of kind of like it's paper thin, <laughs> and um, but then like going back on it, I don't know, like maybe he was flirting with that, but that wasn't like there was there's there's a richer there's a crazy facade, but there's richer shit under deep where I think a lot of real sort of trendy '90s artists. But obviously, I think you know he's probably I mean he's up there with Scorsese. Ooh. Uh, with like greatest living director and I don't and obviously I, Western I don't want to exclude Wong Kar Wai or anybody but I think that when when you're thinking of English language direct you those two are are, are sort of the, the greatest living it's pretty interesting to sort of look back on their very very different careers and they also are specifically yes. about mm-hmm. the boomer America that era the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, like they're really like, that's a big, both of them have the same focus. Yeah, what, right. what interests me, uh, one of the things that interests me about Lynch specifically is that he is a purely American filmmaker. Like, like he yeah. can't help, he like, he can't help. That's something that I, I'm oh, yeah. one of the things, oh, yeah. like, the through line through this series that I'm, I'm mm-hmm. interested in examining. Because we're sort of at the end of, like, our generation is at the end of that. Like, that really, to be uniquely American now, means something different than it did in the last, you know, century. So. Right. uh, Okay, so that's that's an interesting thing. For me, it's like, because you see his trajectory as, like, he was, like, an it filmmaker, and then he did, you know, like, the Dune. and Whereas Spielberg or Scorsese still does these big, huge Hollywood movies. And Lynch is still an LA artist he lives in Cal you know that's he's he, he he swims in that but like after Dune he was like oh wait a minute fuck this I'm gonna keep making the movies I want to make without mm-hmm. compromising myself at all anymore and if the people don't like it then fuck them whereas these other guys it's, are- it's- but also talking about him as an American strictly such an, an iconic because Razorhead the one we're talking it's so iconic but also like influential on other filmmakers of like even Eastern like you look at weird Japanese cinema, especially, it's so much Eraserhead influence as far as I like. 
like with Tetsuo Iron Man is like straight up almost oh, yeah. lynching in. And, and you look at like the mm-hmm. crazy ass Miike movies and stuff in the early aughts and everything. And just the weird squishy stuff that, especially in the Razorhead, that in some of these other Japanese films I can't think of at the moment. Also, I mean, like, I now that you're mentioning that, I think of like yeah. uh, most of the Korean horror films right. that I've seen all have sort of a blue velvet feel to them, uh, like a twin. I mean, because I think that like broad strokes, you'd say the horror director. I I wouldn't say that. Um, I would say that. Yeah. I mean, I know that that's very reductive, but yeah, like I think that we talked about the art life. And remember that part, uh, mm-hmm. and for our audience out there, The Art Life is a documentary made in 2015. It's now streaming on the Criterion channel. It's got three directors, but all it is is David Lynch talking into a microphone and some, like, <laughs> it's in some like shots of him yeah yeah saying yeah, yeah. exactly what he wants to say and representing himself exactly yes. how he yes. wants to be um it doesn't seem to be framed in any sort of special way it's just right. like sort of him uh unfiltered for two hours mm. or whatever but at, at one point you know is he starts off as a visual the, the premise is it chronicles his literal life as an artist where you know, starting from you know boyhood on he was a visual artist and he was started off as a visual artist, a painter. And then, you know, he had that epiphany that one day about making, um, a painting that moves with sound and, you know, yeah. and, and it, he, he didn't realize it's almost like he didn't realize he was talking about a different medium. And I still think, I still feel as though that's what he's, he is. Yeah. He's just a pain. He's still that sort of painter. painter. That, that, and his chosen medium is, yeah, uh, you know, film, and and that's sort of what that oh, mindset yeah. and that background mm-hmm. is what sets him aside from those other contemporaries yeah. that we talked about, who fell in love with a, the medium of film. That first. sort of compositing of yeah, when you think of like great, truly great David Lynch of of his movies, they're mostly fixed image. But not, but not just that. It's he's mm-hmm. he's interested in in mood. And more so, and 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 the sound is big. Like he understands sound and light, yeah, better than most. Oh, jeez, man! Yeah. Sound and texture, like the visual, like like the wetness of the baby, and, and like it, yeah, and like so, like that, like big on textures. That's the thing that I always noticed. Did, did you either one of you watch the Eraserhead stories on the Criterion? Um, well, you're not you're not missing much because it's mostly like literal anecdotes about what happened concurrently yeah. did to his any friends. of y'all watch any of the short films he did before Eraserhead? i like, just saw the, yeah. the, the the clips in art life and i got the picture like i felt like yeah because a lot of those are on the criterion channel too and you you i think uh, you got I'll the probably, picture I they're, probably they're, as far as like when he was deciding what a painting that moves was it's like yeah that's there's there's no story at all. It's just the painting. And when I moved to New York, I had very pretentious artsy friends that wanted to do film, and it's like the quintess like the I'm gonna wear a pig's head and throw dollar bills at a piece of shit on the mm-hmm. ground. That kind of you know like like conceptual art. Oh my god, rent yeah, yeah. shit like the shit that they make fun yeah, of in rent. <laughs> yeah, 
and then but i mean lynch was the first was went early on doing that stuff too and so just... well i don't think none of his was like right. theater so it was all like about trying to like get these he is he is, he is a well that's the thing about cinema. yeah cinema is is a uh direct descendant of theater and a lot of yeah. its early trappings were rooted in in live theater now lynch is from a parallel universe in which the visual oh, play is, yeah. medium itself mm-hmm. gave birth to cinema instead of theater. That's definitely, I think, his main thing that sets him apart. And another thing that I noticed is that he is... I don't want to, like, cut... I'm not trying to, like... He is pretty inarticulate. Like, he struggles to communicate properly. And he felt, sometimes he feels like that, you know, because I think that like the ideas or whatever that he's trying to get out are, are so big that like he can't, like he just doesn't have the vocabulary to put it to use. And so, and I think that's something that I, rem- I think I've even said before, like that about his movies is that you never really remember the lines. Um, it it is images. It is like I, I it's it's like little yeah. cinematic. Though I will say one of my work most memorable films. lines is, "I'm trying to mm-hmm. make my lunch." Not from this movie, but uh, yeah, it's a later. Pat's blue ribbon. I mean, he's got classic lines. Nobody's, but none nobody's of, making like, Capital One commercials based off of David Lynch movie. <laughs> right. Heineken, fuck yeah, that. I yeah, I do think that maybe <laughs> that would be in the contrast where I do feel like uh, like the Coen brothers, which are a contemporary, sort of a contemporary of, of theirs. Um, the Coen brothers strike me as very, like, able to communicate. Like, they don't, like, like they're... They're right. perfectly glib. They know how to put words to their well, they're ideas. No, they're also one of them's a, a novelist, or or, or like pr- a pr- I will say, yeah, watching like, yeah. this movie, I saw a yes. lot of things. They're like, oh wait, the Coen Brothers stole that, or just image, just just like imagery that like just looked very familiar, but because oh, really? it might be uh, just in my head. I think it's hard yeah. to under uh, like overestimate how important Eraserhead was. Well, so I think right now in the we 70s. are in a, the social media age and this is something that millennials and zoomers both have in common. It, it's the idea of the mood. And you know, the phrase big mood, but mm-hmm. nothing really predate yeah. like nothing really permeated any sort of popular culture representation of that, like Eraserhead did. I mean, because that's pretty much mm-hmm. all it is. It's just one an hour and a half of a mood, and nothing. I mean, nothing else. But yeah. Um. So nothing when you walk else, away yeah. from it, you really walk away from like how you. <laughs> I remember when I watched it like almost twenty years ago, right. with James for the first time, like how I felt, not specific. Like I remember my ex- mm-hmm. extreme, right? Un- you know, what happened? I remember, um, <laughs> and and it came rushing back when I watched rewatched. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I remember what I thought. I thought the movie was about the first time I watched it, and I rewatched this, and then watching the the art life beforehand, and I was like, oh wait, I had that read. My read was totally off. Oh, my read was. Oh, my read this time was complete. I, yeah. I saw this oh, uh, completely different oh. after watching Art Life 
and being a you know forty right. year old yeah, guy oh, yeah. watching it after having a few kids, <laughs> yeah. and a, you know, a domestic living. <laughs> yes, yes, I've been stopping you from doing this for long enough. Well, okay, do you want me? Can I read this IMDb because this kind of segues into what I was. Uh, sure. Uh, this okay. uh, this movie uh, came out in nineteen seventy seven. IMDb listed as a fantasy horror. Uh, came out uh, February third, nineteen seventy eight. Uh, according to this IMDb, the storyline is as follows a film that defies conventional logic and storytelling fueled by its dark nightmarish atmosphere and compelling disturbing visuals harry spencer is a hapless factory worker on his vacation when he finds that he's the father of a hideously hideously deformed baby now living with his unhappy malcontent girlfriend the child cries all day and night writing henry and his girlfriend near insanity uh synapsis written by jacob samuelson (laughs) So, yeah, that's pretty much, that's right. actually a pretty adept little paragraph <laughs> in, in a movie that's really hard to sum up. Watching Art Life gave, yeah. I, okay, when I watched it the first time, it was probably, I guess it mm-hmm. was, it was 15 years ago, more like, not 20 years. I think we watched it in 2005 together, James. Yeah, uh, right. I wasn't a parent then. So, I, watching this now, I see that... What, and, and then watching the context with the art life, this is yeah. clearly yeah. David Lynch's feeling at the yeah. time about domestic yes. life. Yeah, and what I thought it was say? all about like oh white picket fence and everything. It's like no, it's about how much he hates Philadelphia and having like and like I mean I I think you right. get the feeling from the art life that the baby was a very very un unfortunate accident front in his and the baby is jennifer the director yeah. jennifer oh, uh, lynch who's like a major director yeah that's what <laughs> you think that's what the other thing is like man what is it like yeah. growing up jennifer lynch and knowing this and this is what your dad thinks of you. is that what ruined boxing yeah, Helena? she did direct the boxing away that won the Razzie yeah. that year and I, I i didn't i yeah i didn't know I, I didn't know all that until i saw the art life and then we're going straight into that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like gobsmacked by it about Eraser, like because you know one thing that whenever Lynch does talk about this film, he talks about how, yeah. how personal is like this is a personal film. Oh yeah, like he says that over this and is... over again. Like he makes no bones yeah. about um, translating how yeah. he actually telling uh, you know moment Tom Rhodes or like, <laughs> like this is my most spiritual film. Do you care to elaborate on that? No. <laughs> It is obviously pretty ugly in all contexts, and I think that yeah. <laughs> that's a sort of like yeah. I, I almost wanted to say this is kind of an incel movie. Like it is the ugliest form of David Lynch. Like, and I think that you get it out of the way early. It's kind of because you know who I think of most when I was watching the art life and then watching the context of this is I was thinking of R. Crumb, a guy pretty much the same age visual artist uh growing up in the suburbs they fall into art school and 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 the counterculture you know we think of our crime as pretty gross and problematic but we don't seem to think that like it seems like david lynch is trying to purge it like i i you know i think that let me pose this question to you is is he a misogynist do you think that like i know like let's is he? I think he was he, being a misogynist. I think he was dealing with feeling misogynist feeling. That's kind of what I wanted to unpack yeah. with Eraserhead. Is because I get the feeling that he is white cis male from the twenty middle of the twentieth century who got like in a family mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. 
and obviously resented. Because he saw the '60s and as like a loose time, and he, it's, and yeah, he, that that, that art life, the art that life era, that he's yeah. talk, in that he's talking about. It's about you mm-hmm. know smoking right. cigarettes, drinking coffee, and painting, doing nothing else. And sometimes there are girls. And sometimes maybe. there's girls. Yeah, that beat lifestyle yeah. that really predominated all of. I, I mean, I think it's pretty ugly. Yeah. Um, I think it's like like Eminem's <laughs> like like Marshall Mathers album or something like where I think he's like he's got like he's he's like beset by this misogyny and ego and self regard and yet he somehow knows that he's got to like get it out. Hopefully, I mean, I mean, I seem like I mean like he's had a, a few divorces, but like all of his kids, like I've never heard a bad thing about him. Like, all of his kids are still major parts of his life. Um, he props up their career. Right. Outside of his weird, disturbing art, he seems like a normal, well enough, well-adjusted guy. Other than... a, lo- a beloved guy. Like, a guy yeah. whose people around him... Right. He's not like a Lars von Trier's where everybody yeah, works with yeah. him. Like, fuck that guy afterwards. He's just a like, truly oh, no, toxic, weird. like, I guess, whatever Joss Whedon is. Like, a truly toxic person. Yeah. So it seems like this movie is a very ugly version of what he was feeling. Right. I read probably why he doesn't want to put words. I'm a little bit relieved to hear you guys pick up on that, too. I felt like like if if we went into this at all, we did was talk about the lighting and like and the sound Mm -hmm. for for 45 minutes. It's definitely an interesting movie. I think right. you're well, on something yeah. with him getting it out of his system. I'm interested to keep an eye on him mm-hmm. to see how much he gets out of his right. system. Right. Because there was an interesting, I watched this interview that some film student did in like 81 or something after the movie came out where they, he was interviewing him on a, like a set that they used for Eraserhead where, where the dead cat was or something. Uh, and yeah. I think it was in this interview. Where he lived. Yeah. He lived right. in <laughs> Yeah. Well, what does that do with you, a guy? But, he was talking about like how Eraserhead was a movie he made just for himself, and he's like, "Oh, I just made Eraserhead, and maybe mm-hmm. like now that I got Eraserhead done, I'd like to make movies for other people too, and see and see what I do." You know, it's probably before he made The Elephant Man. <laughs> yeah, he said, Mel Brooks came to him and said, "Do you do you want to make a lot of money?" And he said, "I sure do." <laughs> yeah, I'd like to make movies for other people. Yeah. Well, he sold the rights. He sold the rights to Eraserhead to go on the midnight movie circuit, huh. but when he was painting houses. Mm-hmm. And he like signed the contract on his lunch break, hmm. in in like a drugstore in L.A. Like, and he was like covered in paint, paint splattered overalls when he signed the contract. So there's, and I, you know, he was a working guy. There was no. That's what I was gonna say. If the origins, like you know, like we we all you you listen, you watch something like the Art Life and it tells you the origin story of an artist or whatever. They all kind of blurred the same. But if you do the timeline, you're like, mm-hmm. oh shit, this was a long time. Between him moving to Philadelphia and Eraserhead being mass released, it was like 11, 12 years. 11 or 12 years? You're yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, like, he was, like, there was a that shot where, where Jack Nance looks like he, get, he gains 20 pounds in a cut. Right. Because it was like four years later. 
It was yeah, it was like, like well, spent, it was like yeah, it was like a year and a half or so later. But yeah, like it's it been four cut. years making the movie, right? Uh, four yeah. years, man. While years. while at the AFI, yeah. It, well, I get, I guess that was the college back then. I, don't, I, I think it's, it's a mall like, now, actually. Uh, I, I, like literally, I think that the mansion he lived in the stables because everybody probably. wanted, and then he lived there for four years and made it all the sets. Ter- Terrence Malick was living with, and so they were friends there until Terrence. Ter- the last ditch effort to get it made had Terrence Malick pitching people that hmm. paid for his first move, Days of Heaven, and them rejecting the financing Eraserhead, and they met there at that. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to start. It's an interesting to start off with. One of the things that I I, I sort of noticed is because I'm I, I, it's on my mind lately is just that, that I'm sort of looking at the sort of the material shape of society and sort of the the cultural or almost almost this sort of spiritual mood of a society. And and one of the things I was noticing on is that David Lynch very much is on the spiritual mood side of it. And I feel like he gets, like, so he's obviously, Mm -hmm. he's a boomer, white, cis man making movies, almost in that box. Like, he never really, he doesn't try to make, like, you know, a, a gritty urban movie or anything like that. He kind of stays in that box uh, where he's comfortable and where he's not going to fuck up everything. Not that he doesn't get things wrong, but, like, but, so that's the, his focus. But in that focus, like, he does seem to be very much on sort of the cultural mood. And I, I don't. I, I think it's interesting, sort of like that he never really represents the material, uh, like you know, class, like that all of the like because the way he talks about the time in Philadelphia yeah. was you know about like these images that he saw, <laughs> like in the violence and the ugliness and the the sort of horrific images. Like he doesn't like obviously doesn't reflect on their material sort of conditions that brought that to be there. That's not his focus. Like, I, I don't think he sees oh, that. Oh, you talking, like, larger context? Yes. Yeah, I don't think he sees, like, class. Like, cla- I think he gets it on an intellectual level, but, like, that's not what he wants to do. That's not the lens in not... which he sees. He sees a bunch of miserable, angry people, and he tries to catch that mood, but he's not, like, wondering why they're miserable and angry. He's just like, oh, this place sucks. Just to kind of expound on what Lynch was doing and seeing in 1950, 19- you know, 68, 69 in Philadelphia and bring it to a little bit of context of what what's mm-hmm. going on now. He, you know, there, there was... Right. Because he, he was fascinated with factories and factory life, just like they're gone. You know, the yes. abandonment of mm-hmm. And it feels like we're going through that with like mm-hmm. another notch. Because my town, my, my, yeah. my very small town, my factory, like the factories we have, are fine, but all mm-hmm. of our storefront and office space have has been like yeah. empty f- for years now. Like we have shopping mm-hmm. centers that are from large box stores, that yeah, are just empty for years to small like shopping centers that could have been like a baseball card mm-hmm. trading card place like twenty years ago. It's just empty now. You know the the all the places that could have like that killed Main yeah. Street are now themselves dead. So now you have those places dead and a dead Main Street. Mm-hmm. So what else have you got left? So all yeah. the stuff that he's talking about and how the people look, yeah, in, in an urban area, That's, yeah, 
has now come. It's kind of like industrial decay is a big thing. In it. Yeah. Right. But that sort of blight and like bleak hope, bleakness yeah. um, that made mm-hmm. such an impact is in areas that never had never had mm-hmm. it before now like my town and jackson and you know and he represents that text i feel like I, one of the ways he represents that i guess i should say is texturally like the his surfaces all look like you know like urban brick walls and cement and, and broken down things and he's fascinated with like puddles right i mean even the man in the planet right. oh yeah that's how he's <laughs> credited in the films yeah the guy pulling the levers at the beginning the, and he does that all throughout and, all throughout like the imagery that he uses in those dream sequences kind of texture are whatever that twin- kind of i guess it's the planet that opens the film and then also cracks open at the end kind of just disgusting kind of texture on it is like mm-hmm. it's all texture and he goes back to that a lot in Twin Peaks too, um, especially yeah. the third season. Now, one of the things you're right that new that new decay would look more like I got that feeling from True Detective when they would drive through those like like that boarded up like strip malls that aren't that have no reason to exist anymore, and that sort of new rural like that new like the exurban decay mm-hmm. or whatever. That's a uh, that like the new David Lynch will deal in those kinds of textures, <laughs> uh, shopping windows that are du- that dusty and empty. Um, like I feel like uh, Dead Malls mm-hmm. uh, compilation videos. I don't know if th- those are pretty. Oh, you know, uh, I've been a fan of those for years. I yeah. Love, yeah. I, yeah. Oh this yeah. Is, all this has been on that aesthetic. That yeah. all that stuff has been on my radar, and yeah, I've. Zombie it's retail, dead, yeah. Yes, it it's interesting to make that that connect that dot between those two things. The David Lynch of of the Zoomer David Lynch would be attracted to those textures, I think, because that's the image of his decay. It really is such a bold statement mm-hmm. of a first movie, and I, I also feel like it was one of those things that like you probably had to be there. Because like Kubrick was obsessed yeah. with it. Yeah, he made the he made the cast of The Shining watch it. That's the thing is that th- th- this was a movie that people made other people watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Lynch showed this movie to the cast right, of Dune right. and the crew the crew of Dune. Mm-hmm. Um, he made and they, apparently they were mostly Spanish speakers because it was filmed. Part of it was filmed in Mexico. Yes, in um, Mexico. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. You know, he wasn't quite sure what they thought of it because I guess there's a language, you know, a language barrier. So he just, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things that makes a deep impression on on the viewer, in a way that the story, the story is completely secondary. So much so that you get the impression that he, the story, goes out the window. At what point does it does it go off the rails? Is it the hot tub? <laughs> the bed hot tub? <laughs> yeah. I would I think that you can I think that I think that you could if you were going to tell somebody what happened in this movie, you could ha- you have a beginning, you know, meets the parents, blah blah well, blah. Then he has a conflict, right? right? Uh-huh. That changes his world, right? And then so you have like it's oh, there's almost a structure for a yeah. while. And it's and then Well, how do you explain what is what is the opening hard. with the the planet and then the guy pulling those gears that's all 
I think that's him coming. And then the the because it's and then then the the slow camera oh, pan in. That makes that's, sense. That's yeah, I guess that would. And then well, oh, when it when the thing is coming out of his mouth, like that him looks kind of like yeah, that's like sperm, right? Mm-hmm. And then but then it. The conception of the of the music. yeah, I think so. That's the baby. and then that's just with him opening his mouth yeah. and coming out of his mouth and that. And then there's then there's the man in the planet, which I don't. And then. And then, then it goes and he's meeting the parents and everything. But that shot that goes in, it's like, that's Evil Dead. I, when I was in, we were in high school, I was like, oh, the Evil Dead shot of the tracking shot of the coming. That's stolen from Lynch. The opening of, uh, well, it's not quite the opening of Blood Simple, but with the zooming in on the pipes. And it does that again. And Barton Fink does that with the pipes. And then oh, the bedroom yeah. in Barton Fink was all straight, like, very, felt like Eraserhead. I often, I, I think, I didn't realize until this, until watching it again, thinking about it, is that Tim Burton is just an Eraserhead cloner. Like, that's probably, like, he stole <laughs> yeah, his totally. whole shit. Just his whole shit from that movie. <laughs> Even from yeah. having the little puppet worms and shit, man. So, I don't think I realized, because I, I, Obviously, I I was uh, right. I was twelve when Batman came out, so obviously I was uh, more familiar with Tim Burton movies. Yeah. I'm going to show my kid with uh, um, a razor head when he's eleven and <laughs> fuck him up forever. Can we talk about? Because this is going to we can't not talk about David Lynch and sex. And I think this is a movie a lot about yes, sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think? You think? I think yes. I, yes, I completely agree. Yes, you're not going to get any disagreement. I'm going to guess he's just an overstimulated man. He seems like a man that's quick to bliss, quick to anger, quick to fear, quick to anxiety. Like he he seems like a, like you know like he's he's a high he's he's, he's right. got a high sensitivity. Well, it's level. like that story tells in art the art life about like just the image of a brief flash of memory from when he was a kid too old to remember the context of. Just, oh my God, he obsesses over that. Yeah, that was like oh, blue velvet. That is in blue velvet. That's blue velvet. It's just made to rehash that memory. Oh, trying to add. He was just trying to add context to like (laughs) he just to something that he. Yes, that's what I totally think when he said that, and I was like, oh, you're just trying. Blue velvet was just trying to put a context to that. That's that's an interesting thing is that you don't get like Lynchian moments. You don't get Lynchian moments without, but like it's almost like a Mm -hmm. superhero origin story that he. He had he had a real life Lynchian moment and yeah. then he was able to reproduce them. exercise them. <laughs> yeah, I think the exercise is a good word. Like I think he wants to get, get them out. I feel that way. Like about about stuff. Like every, everything I make, I I try to escape myself, but it's you know it's impossible to to a certain degree. Like you're in there whether you like it or not, just by virtue of being the person who. And he leans into that. Like I think that maybe that's like strength, power. You know, is that is that uh, you know oversensitive? That strength he has is that oversensitivity that he, and so he know. But the like the the technique to it is that he knows how to mm-hmm. technically, ex- and those two things of being that kind of raw creative while also not being like a flighty self-destructive piece of shit like is that's the lynch method like that was i i feel like maybe that's like what he did if he i don't know because a lot i'm leery of overpraising 
white boomers. I get it. <laughs> like, you know, like you could be some awful shit that comes out about him, but I don't want to have a clip of me saying a lot of, you know, but like, it seems like he's balanced that. Like he's kept his life together and grown in technique and has delivered. I don't think he grosses everybody out with it. Like, like he, he's found a way not to be gross about it, but never really stop talking about it. Um, another superpower. <laughs> um, I think because it's never, like he's found a way to be, to purge these things without being confessional, without like, you know, like it, not yeah. turning everything into a Spalding Gray model. Conscious to not do or stand up, <laughs> let you make um, those connections. Except until re- watching the art life, it was like because I've never had a context to put with David Lynch, and it was weird to get one. And yeah, it kind of changed how I viewed it. I so. felt I feel almost really actually the, the yeah. art life gave me a huge. It was a huge relief for me. Yeah. Because yeah. once I've, I uh... realized that he was coming from a visual artist, like, I understand the idea of switching mediums. Oh, really? And how mm-hmm. bring, you bring a different tool set to the medium that you come to. Um, that yeah. helped me out tremendously to give, I mean, give a, a new appreciation for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I liked him a lot from what I've seen. Before we started this project, I liked him okay. I I almost liked him more as a personality or figure or like cultural mm-hmm. guru, maybe. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. He is sort of a social benevolent figure. He's one of the like. So the art life was a it was a was a relief. De- it demystified yeah, him a, quite a bit. One of the I guess the thing that got me really interested in him is the David Foster Wallace essay yeah. on him. Yeah. What that um is uh what i th- maybe i think that's something that i've Ooh. read but i forgot existed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well i guess that was one of those new one of those like hollywood magazines from the 90s sent david lich on set while they to do an expo line of expose but to do a you know a profile For lost of highway, david right? lynch while doing lost oh, highway yeah okay, yes and it's a piece, you know, because David Foster Wallace and, Dave, and David Foster Wallace's prime, where he just blows it up and, and turns it into this huge sort of exploration of what David Lynch, like the, what a Lynchian moment is, like trying to get to the core nugget of what a Lynchian moment is and why it rung, like why it was so important to him. Um, and he talks about how watching Blue Velvet was this... Uh, I, you know, because I think he'd had a book published or was about to be published by the, when when he talks about this, his first book. But like that, it's like empty MFA, like to do you know, like shitty modernist writing, uh, postmodernist writing, and then we're eating, watching Blue Velvet and realizing that oh, this is a guy that's playing that understands irony and contrast and all of these things, but like has something to say underneath it you know and is 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 trying to express a thing an honest emotion about something like a fear or a dread about society like that was david foster wallace said that that was the reflecting point back on him like that was like that was like a light bulb went off and i guess that's 
one of the things that where he started writing it. Have, have. Is it in Consider the Lobster? So, like, I know... No, it's in a supposedly fun thing. Right. And is that the essay contrast with the, the library. Uh, Matthew Barney, Cree Master movies? The Cree Master films that nobody's ever watched because the guy made you watch them in a gallery. Just fuck him. Right. Cause that, because I was working at an art foundry at the time that had done some casting. <laughs> at the Guggenheim? Some at of the, the Guggenheim? Right. Stuff. Yeah. I was living with all these art school kids that were like talking about the Creepmaster uh-huh. movies. And it's like, so I'm interested. So it's kind of the kind of visual and yeah. uh, artist take on it. But Well, yeah. I guess that he was right, of that right. movement. I guess because Andy Warhol made movies. So that like artists making films. Right. I mean, I guess Dolly made and Shannon delivered. But I'm just like, fuck Matthew Barney, one for. Uh, there you go. York. But um, and, yeah, and two for like, okay, and then not letting anybody for, see his movies. For Pith and like, Bjork. Right, I get you're making these movies because they're art and not cinema or whatever. But fuck you. And he made three Creed Master movies, which are like four hours long a piece. He's probably a court jester for whoever Billions is based on. Oh, he hangs out at his apartment and makes yeah. art on one of the floors yeah. of his I mean, penthouse. He's, and... he's got the highest paid of Chelsea Gallery artist money, which is not inconsiderable. Uh, like, he can be looked at. Like, I mean, I guess he's got something to say, but he also seems like kind of like a Jeffrey Coon style bullshit artist. That's... That's kind of what like I think. One too, of the yeah. great American, re- <laughs> one of the great American recipes. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe like I mean I know like I don't know art right. artists. Are I, yeah, I mean know, I can't really know, art, say without art is uh, and especially the artists and culture in the 20th century. Is that a, I guess that still exists. Is New York still full of artists that actually make uh, money? I'm not sure. I'm that I'm out of that world. I haven't talked to the. The guy I worked with, he, he did one last job when he got out, James. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I actually I do mean I've been meaning to, because a friend of mine that's an art handler actually did a thing. This is total tangent for the guy I did the nude modeling for that sold like two pieces of me for like eighty thousand dollars. I need to, I need to actually call him out. He was like, "Oh yeah, tell wait to wait. Call we somebody. need you for one last job." Yeah, it's like I want my money. <laughs> Yeah, you want to see my fat Nobody naked does ass nude like you, man. We need you for this from... job. One last time, but we're all out. You know, this little Gino, everybody gets to do their. Everybody gets to do their old man stories. And, like, you'll just be like, <laughs> like you know, this will be like your Rambo or your Terminator, old man Terminator. <laughs> oh, man. Um, that was the school teacher. Uh, the 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 baby's mom is the school teacher from Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, the pencil sharpener, the guy who pencil sharpened uh, sharpened the pencil was uh, Bill's dad from or Ted's dad from Bill and Ted. Oh, right. <laughs> right. I knew I recognized that guy. That's him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and obviously Jack Dance uh, is. Uh, I don't know if you guys haven't watched Twin Peaks, but he's in Twin Peaks. Is he in anything I, else? Well, we'll get. Is he? Did, did anybody yeah. besides uh, Twin Peaks? Did anybody I don't know. Besides um, Lynch, give Jack Dance. Uh, I don't. I mean, maybe like I, maybe Jennifer Lynch gave him work. I don't <laughs> know. I mean, I know he died. Um, I mean, I think he was like a world class weirdo. Um, but oh, he's in. Uh, who's he in? He's in Dune. Yeah, he's in Dune. I don't remember him in Dune. I remember. I remember he showed up. I think he's in a steel yeah. suit. 
He's pretty. Ju- he fills out a still suit. Oh yes, I remember him now. He yeah. stands next to Raban. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, and I mean, I guess he was in Lost Highway, but I think he died. Like, not, not, like I don't know if he lives through Twin Peaks. I think they had to kill him off the show because he died. No, he died in ninety ninety six. Well, he died before so he did the two thousand one documentary. I saw about it. It was called the Eraserhead Memories. It was the one that oh, was yeah. useless <laughs> was oh, for this podcast. Was... Oh, yeah. They, just they used... stories of other people's mm. car trips that David Lynch heard about, and he would talk. <laughs> right. And then, and then he get he got Jack Nance's ex-wife <laughs> on the phone, and it's just like shots of a speakerphone and her him shouting at a speakerphone. I've got some questions yeah. about the movie. I guess. Um... Like, what the fuck is the baby made out of? Because that puppet mm-hmm. is. It's got to be some dead animal he picked up somewhere, right? The eyes, or everybody says it's, it's not a, cat. a dead animal, but well, that's there's what everybody the cat, says. Like in that interview I watched, he calf. Oh, calf. calf. Hmm. Okay, yeah. But like the, yeah, the eye. I don't know. There's something. Th- those eyes look like animal eyes that he's using to puppeteer or something. And from that story in the art life where he, his dad tells him maybe you shouldn't have kids <laughs> he... after he goes down in the basement and it's got a road all this dead animals he's playing with and yeah, he's I like hey dad he gets... check it out and that's like, what his experiments were i think that's i yeah. think that's because mm-hmm. he they talk about he talks he... about his experiments on animals he called up um a vet and and told them that he needed a dead cat in this racer head thing and the vet told him that i'll give you the dead cat but it can't show up in your movie like it can't like i'll give you your a, a dead cat for an right. experiment, but it, you know I can't. And I think that's what it was. I think he was trying to figure out how to a, mm-hmm. a way to animate. Right. Well, the uh, interest, the interesting thing about the dead cat in this interview, where they're on set, and it's this, it's like the industrial like, uh, like uh, factory kind of outdoor set with all the pipes and everything, and they're standing there. And there's like a spot on the ground where he's like, oh, yeah, that's where the dead cat was. It didn't make it into the movie, mm-hmm. but that's where the dead cat was when right. we were shooting. So they're walking around. The dead cat was on the screen and a lot of the time and everything. I mean, it was below screen when they were shooting. Right. And then the spot that he's pointing at, I'm pretty sure when mm-hmm. after the head goes through and they make the eraser and everything and the head falls and splats on the ground and, and before the kid comes into steals it away like the like in uh mm-hmm. Miller's Crossing when the guy when the kid steals the wig it seems a very similar uh but when the head splats on the ground and lands i swear yeah. i not can't yeah, be sure but I, i'm almost positive it's the exact same spot where Lynch says that's where the cat was <laughs> cuz it's a weird spot on the ground like a little oil slick place and it yeah or just like some weird thing and then that's it, when they're shooting, like the cat was there, we had to take the cat away. But for whatever reason, I want this head to land right there where the cat. Was. So, do you think they put the cat I, on the bottom of the head it, yeah. as it flat down? It looks so. It, it was the tech. Like it looks so slimy. That's the thing. And when he cuts open the baby at the end and takes the bandage off, and the, that's that's like I don't know what that is, but that that would it seems like there's rotten uh, meat in there somewhere. There was a lot of there was a That's lot true. of pudding and That's there was true. a lot of peas. But you know, it was like texture. he's doing this. I mean, for black and white aids, you, you yeah. know, black and white's a real 
but Real like health. before that, it mm. looks like he got some bunch of intestines from a butcher shop and fucked around with them or something. But who knows? You do it with black and white. Like and then the, just the interesting things that aren't in the movie are the dead cat that he said is there when they're shooting that doesn't make it in, and his daughter Peggy, and no, his ex-wife Peggy and, and Jennifer are credited as being in the movie, but they didn't make final cut either. Like, but they're in the credits. He showed a twenty. He showed a movie that was twenty minutes longer when it premiered and then like he cut 20 minutes out of it before it showed i don't know whatever film festival it showed in that where it broke yeah like a little girl and woman digging in a ditch was peggy and his daughter but but they were already divorced at least by the yeah i mean i i i I think this was about like some of the reasons why they got divorced (laughs) Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. He talks about it a lot. Like, he, because I've been listening to his audio book, Catching the Bit. Like, he's got a lot to say with that. I think that he feels that that was, like, his origin story. That's his Uncle Ben moment is. Because he elaborates in the audio book that he says the story in the art life about his dad in the middle of it saying, look, you're, you've fucked your family up. You've got real responsibilities. You need to quit trying to fund this stupid fucking movie about like, uh, like a chicken baby and like, you know, be a person now and take care of your responsibilities. And one of the things that he, he says that I went back in the room and I cried and he goes, and I was with my sister. He said that, right? Right. Yeah. yeah he did. Okay. So in the audio book, he elaborates why he says that. Like he doesn't reference the documentary, but he elaborates that she—that's the first time she recommended TM to him, transcendental meditation. Huh. Was at that moment, and so that was like so that's like the foundational like difference, like I guess in the story in the audiobook where he's trying to like because the audiobook is definitely just about like <laughs> david lynch talks about like the grand unified field of the universe or whatever but about like where his ideas come from uh, also, but he tries to make them like textural mm-hmm. um but one of the but that was the that moment and so having all of these demons inside of him and then finding some way through that a way of purging that out um, I think was what he views the key to his artistic method. Mm-hmm. So, like, I do think the documentary makes that clear. In like, so watching Eraserhead, you know, you're like, it, it kind of, it, it, it's kind of like, wow, what a fucked up dude. But in some sort of process, like, I guess it's a, <laughs> he got through yeah. it, you know, <laughs> or something. Yeah. Um, so, but it is, uh, like I, it is clearly about his daughter and also she was born with a club foot. Oh, so I think that was why some of the monstrous mm-hmm. Im- imagery was there. Yeah. That's yeah. like, that, that kept coming back to my brain the whole time. I was like, like, man, what to be Peggy, the, Jennifer stuff. Lynch. <laughs> and I, I yeah. had this. Yeah, it must be right. She's had the best director's career of all of his kids, yeah. I think. Well, she does a lot of TV work. Uh, she directed... She directed, all, uh, she directed a, an episode of every one of the Marvel, no, Marvel right. Netflix series. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, she's a working director. You know, she's got, yeah, like, yeah. a working director's career. She's... 
And then he's got little kids because he's like, you know. I don't think he's ever purged that sex drive away See, from before, him. Before the art life, <laughs> I thought he just Monica jacked off Bellucci. to some woman singing <laughs> yes. to him. That's I thought that was his kick. We're, oh, yeah, we're going to get to that, right? <laughs> that is that. That's like, Well, idea. I mean, that, that's a big part of it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she's in real other movies now. Like, Twin Peaks was a launching point for her. Twin Peaks 2017 was like a launching pad for her. So she's... After like be living in his house for that long, uh, and not being his, I mean maybe they're yeah. together. I don't know. He's a private man, yeah. also. Like I think that's clear. Like he's very much a private man. So mm-hmm. he's a, he's a fascinating person to me. I really like him. Yeah. Like I just have a greater affinity for well, him. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else other than uh, next next time we will be talking about anything else. Ultraman, correct? Oh. That's the next one well, on our list. One of my least favorites that I've seen. I'm interested. Uh, I'm very interested in going into it. I I thought I, I really. Liked I've only it, um, last time I saw it. So I mean, Elephant Man is a movie I remember from when I was a, mm-hmm. like child, like between four and seven. I just remember it mm. being on TV and maybe my older brother's watching it. Most of, yeah. So I haven't revisited it in forever. So I'm, I'm it's, real curious. It's interesting. Like, this, it, like, because he kind of makes his own actor. That's fair to say. He tries to work with, mm-hmm. like, Bill Pullman or something every now and then. But, like, um, but, like, Anthony Hopkins is definitely, like, the highest caliber actor. Like, I was a shooting rocket. Like, right. he's an actor who makes, you know, that movies kind of bend around, especially in the It's interesting to see him work with that caliber of an actor. And John Gilga. Upward trajectory of Lynch is interesting to me from, like, Eraserhead being, like, and everybody <laughs> talks about it. And then, you know, mm-hmm. Mel Brooks says to make the health of man. To the Dune catastrophe. And then to Dune, and then, then to the real metamorphosis of, like, where he's just like, these are the, yeah. my terms. Like, I feel like he's getting back closer to where he began. Mm-hmm. Like, I definitely think that Twin Peaks Season 3 feels more like a razor head than it does Twin Peaks okay. Season 2. Well, I need to, <laughs> I need to go back and, and catch up on all the Twin Peaks, honestly. Yeah. And so I think that he's re- not regressing. I think he's returning to the sort of dark, like, tormented imagery, still life kind of composited image at the end. Which is interesting. Hmm. All right. Uh, let's uh, end it there, and we'll talk about All Elephant right. Man on the yeah. next pod. Adios, amigos. Three to lynch out. <laughs> Three to lynch out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel great about this, guys. <laughs>
the dark moon I burned a lot of bridges Some castles were made of sand Only then 